You know, I used to be a comedy libtard shitbag like you until that episode with that fucking Friday song. My brain won't stop playing it. Now, I never listen to a I Doubt It with Dollamore. Trump 20, dickhead. The following broadcast may contain free thinking and open-minded discussion, ideas, skepticism, and adult subject matter. Topics will be discussed using adult language, sometimes gratuitously. Get ready to move the conversation forward. This ain't your granddad's news and comment show. This is I Doubt It with Dollamore. Welcome, one and all. Thank you for joining us. Episode 432 of I Doubt It with Dollamore. I am your host, Jesse Dollamore, and I am joined by the bowling expert extraordinaire, Brittany Page. So I just, I always have to be shamed for my <laughs> non athletic ability. Is that what's happening? Well, no, you just got little pencil arms. They, they can't withstand the. The, the 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 strain and pressure of holding a bowling ball and throwing it down the lane. Oh yeah, how how good are you at bowling? Not very good. Oh, so but maybe it, it's not. But pencil it doesn't arms have anything to problem. do with my pencil arms, right? I just um, ascribe your lack of ability to mm-hmm, your pencil arms. Mm-hmm. Yeah, bowling is kind of <laughs> like ice skating in my mind because. When I was younger... Should we say that we went bowling this weekend? Yeah, that's we went why. bowling. Well, everyone assumes. <laughs> um, I, When I reflect back on being a kid and going ice skating, I remember being like a champion on the ice. Yeah. Like, this is... A regular Tanya Harding yeah. in her prime before things got bad. And um, then I tried to ice skate as an adult, and it was... Um, it went okay, but I was not... It went okay for me. No. It wasn't great for you. That's not true. That's not true. I wasn't like holding the wall. After a while, I got used to it, but it was more difficult than I remembered. I thought I would just step on the ice and be Start like a doing, butterfly out there, and that did not happen. Doing twirls and... Yeah. Um, <laughs> And it's kind of the same with bowling, because in middle school for PE we used to take the bus to the bowling alley and go bowling wait what yeah they would load all the kids on a bus and then drive down to the old bowling alley for PE yes (laughs) I got a lot of questions not all the time but periodically well one that seems like a rich kid school Mm. two Wouldn't it take more time to load all the kids, get their little asses on the bus, and get them down to the bowling alley, then get them off the bus, get them into the bowling alley, well, was, and then get everybody's shoes all together, okay. and then get to the... It seems like it would be more... Like, no. Then, you, then finally, once you start bowling, you got 10 minutes. Okay. That would be the case if a bowling alley was far away, but we had a bowling alley that was very close. And we all knew we only have a certain amount of time, so you can't mess around. You need to hurry. You need to get through it. So Get through it. Sounds like a real good time. Yeah. We got to get through this. Well, whatever. So anyway, (laughs) I thought with all my training as a young person that I would um, be a better bowler, and that was not the case. Uh, I'm I'm weird with the bowling because sometimes I'm a decent bowler. Mm -hmm. What does that mean? You know, um, 180, 200. Okay. And then, but most of the time, it's 
125, 130. Yeah, I didn't even break 100 oh, this wow. last time. So, yeah. That's uh, <laughs> That's not good. I know. What a bummer for me. Yikes. I don't know if I can continue <laughs> the show. Oh, please. So let me awkwardly... Let, let, let me awkwardly kind of shift to the next segment of the show, which would be listener feedback. Mm-hmm. We do have a voicemail. Apparently, the as evidenced by the, 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 the opening promo, the drop at the beginning of the show, people were some not too happy about the the practical joke of the the Friday. Because mm-hmm. the only reason I played the goddamn anything about the CVS story was so I could do the Friday thing. Really? <laughs> that is... You think I care about it's very the, disturbing. Anyway, sir. we got a voicemail. You know, I thought when you were playing it, I was like, why is he talking about this? He's acting like this is the new dress or the, the Laurel thing. And I'm like, I haven't heard about this. This is not a real controversy. They talked about it on the on the CB on the ABC. Yeah, they talk about a lot of things on Good Morning America. Well, Andy from Oklahoma has something to say. All right, you schmucks. This is Andy in Oklahoma, and I was at Lowe's in line to check out with my little earpiece in when you broke out Rebecca Black's Friday, <laughs> and I started laughing so uncontrollably and I couldn't breathe and I was laughing so hard and everybody was staring at me and of course it was busy and there were lots of people there and I between breaths when I was trying I don't know if it was just that it took me by surprise or the fact that Brittany's uh response was just (laughs) was priceless but I'm standing there in line and I'm laughing and everybody's looking at me and I'm trying to figure out how to explain what's happening and I'm just like it's Friday it's Friday. Don't worry. It's Friday. I'm fine. It's Friday. And uh, thanks. Yeah, that was awesome. Um, oh, we love that. Brittany, your reaction was real. You wanted me to stop. Yeah, I'm scared you're going to do it again because I feel like you're No. <laughs> Last time. We'll do you, see. Do you promise? No, of course I don't. It's, I... But you were not having a... A good time with it. Yeah. That last time when you told me to shut the fuck up or whatever was pretty... I was getting ready to leave. Yeah, you were, it was pretty serious. I don't have to stand here and take it. You don't. Yeah. You, you, you have agency. Yeah. I don't have to stand here and take this. <laughs> this abuse. Oh. Well, thanks, Andy. I appreciate that you appreciate the joke. Yes, of course. Not everybody did, though. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> listen, we've been doing the show for a long time, uh, going on five years now. And uh, we used to have a listener a long time ago. We didn't know that it was a used to be listener until he wrote in. We're getting ready to read an email. But a young man by the name of Alexander from Denmark. He was, as he says in the email, one of our very first international listeners. And uh, we used to kind of go at it a little bit. He'd write in and, you know, shit directly into my mouth about politics and such. And uh, he has written in after a long hiatus. Hello, Jesse and Brittany. I don't know if you remember me. My name is Alexander, and I believe I was one of your very first international listeners to the show. It's very strange for me to write you. I haven't heard your podcast since 2015. (laughs) The reason I began to tune it down was because of Donald Trump. 
Everybody talked about him over and over and over again, and I was tired of it. I was tired because I didn't think that the orange buffoon could win, but he did. Since I have become very interested in the upcoming midterms, and I have begun to listen to your show again, and since I haven't listened to your show in three years... You don't have to keep reminding us that you stop listening to the show. I have some questions. <laughs> Number one, how is your personal life, and what has happened since 2015? <laughs> Number two, which congressional district do you live in and who do you plan to vote for? Number three, how do you see the Feinstein de Leon race and Newsom slash Cox race? P.S. In 2015, Jesse said in a podcast, quote, if Alexander doesn't run for public office, then I fucking don't know. <laughs> I have followed your advice. I have become a nominee for my Social Democratic Party at the upcoming elections for my city council. Although I sound boring, um, <laughs> communes slash city council has the same amount of power in Denmark as state legislatures do in America. I plan to run in the second biggest one in Denmark. And I'm so, so excited. My party controls 13 out of 31 seats, so I'm pretty pumped to try to get one of them. Love the show. Jesse is the best part. Um, psyched you with a winky face. <laughs> Love and thanks, Alexander from Denmark. Well, that is fantastic. We're One, we're very happy to hear from you, uh, Alexander. It's, it has been a long time. Any longer, you would have been banned from the show. Mm -hmm. Um and that's awesome that you're running for office. Yeah, um, it's great. We're talking about years ago when Alexander used to write in. You guys would mix it up. And mix it up a little bit, but he he's a very astute young man. Sound like I'm a wow. grandpa here, but you know <laughs> he's a younger guy, and I think it's great mm -hmm. when the, the younger generation gets involved in politics and has some interest in it. And um, we need that to change our world for the better going forward. And I think Alexander has a good heart for the. For the work and and for his people. So that is awesome. To answer some of your questions, um, we live in the 48th Congressional District of California. Our current congressman is a man named Dana Rohrbacher, who is commonly known, even from Republican, as Putin's favorite congressman. Mm -hmm. That's not just kind of a, trying to jump on the Russia bandwagon here, like our congressman's extra special um, and involved. He is known to have been uh, in meetings and lunches and dinners with this Butina lady, this Russian indicted spy. He, Kevin McCarthy, who's the majority leader of the United States Congress, is caught on tape saying that, the, that he believes the two people that Putin pays are Donald Trump and Dana Rohrbacher. And when people laugh, he goes, no, I'm serious. That's our congressman. The man who has won the primary... The other one who won the primary to run against Dana Rohrbacher is Harley Ruda, who we've had on the show a couple of times. He's going to be coming on again here within the next couple months uh, when the election gets a little closer. He is our guy, and he is running right now. I know it's a little local, but he's running neck and neck in some polls leading Dana Rohrbacher. That is a wonderful development because uh, Rohrbacher's been in there for 30 years like this is 16 elections it's mm -hmm. insane mm -hmm. so we need to get rid of that guy 
Mm-hmm. And that's who we're supporting is Harley Ruda. Mm-hmm. And he's um, been on the show a couple times. So, Alexander, you can go back and listen right. to those episodes. Yeah. If you go to dollamore.com and search Harley Ruda. Um, There's the, even a video one on YouTube. Yeah, it'll bring up those episodes. And he may be interested in listening to those specifically. Yeah. Um. So, yeah. And then um, as far as the Feinstein, it's awesome when when foreigners are as interested in like this is even... It's one thing when you're into a presidential election, because that really affects, mm-hmm. globally, that affects people. Yeah, but local California politics. Yeah, look, our congressional race, that's interesting. But then even, you know, the gubernatorial race mm-hmm. and the Senate race here. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to vote for DeLeon. We talked about this last episode or the episode before, um, only because it's between him and Feinstein. They're both Democrats, and it's not going to hurt anything if... If either Feinstein re-wins, if she wins again, or if DeLeon takes the seat. Listen, I am, as moderate as I am on politics, I do believe we need universal health care in this country. I believe it it, it is a right of every citizen to have um, reliable, decent health care. You know, they talk about having the, the right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Uh, which isn't guaranteed by the Constitution, but it is something that our founders wrote about. Uh, if you have the right to life, then you should have the right to protect that life, to sustain that life. And healthcare is almost solely part of that. DeLeon is a universal healthcare guy, and while Feinstein is a dinosaur, this is not to be ageist, <laughs> but she she hasn't come around. Mm-hmm. She still says, we're not ready for it. We're not ready for it as a country. Well, when the fuck are we going to be ready for it? Diane. So she doesn't have my vote. I'm going to vote for Kevin. Uh, the other thing, uh, as far as the gubernatorial race, I don't see... Newsom and Cox. Yeah, Cox is a Republican. I don't see that he has much of a chance here in California. Uh, Newsom is maybe not the greatest choice for the Democrats, but he is electable AF. As the kids say, Brittany. Used to be married to Kimberly Guilfoyle. Yeah, very strange. Very he, weird. He's the former mayor of, of uh, San Francisco. and uh, Kimberly Guilfoyle is Donald Trump Jr.'s current girlfriend. That's right. And she just got fired from Fox News for for more dick pics. Lots of dick pics going on in Fox News. Yeah. Mm-hmm. She was showing the dick pics. A lot of dick pics. Very strange. Mm-hmm. So, uh, I mean, seriously, what kind of a business are you running over there where everybody's just getting dick pics? I I don't know. I've never received a dick pic. I, God damn it. Now, that's a bummer. I don't want to say that. <laughs> <laughs> Here they come. I'm going to avoid the I doubt it email for a couple of weeks, I think. So... Um, but, I mean, have you received like an actual dick pic? Um, the closest thing I've received to a dick pic is the, um, the dude in his underwear Yeah, and the thong or whatever. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And that was interesting. It yeah. just seems like a lot of dick pic action over it there at like the Fox 8 News. It was like 8am too when that happened. I was like, I was at school getting ready to go to my class and I see this message from this guy that I haven't talked to in years and all it was was a picture of him and like a close-up of the dick in the thong and then a one like further back and it said new new (laughs) he must have been trying to send it to another britney or something and accidentally hit my name or i don't know (laughs) 
whatever it was, but I, I deleted him Ew. after that. Yeah, I'm like, this guy's <laughs> reckless with his personal information, and I don't need to be associated with this. So anyway, <laughs> uh, this is we're way off the chart here. Uh, Kimberly Guilfoyle used to be married to Gavin Newsom. was running for governor against a guy named Cox. John Cox, I believe his name is. It's John. Anyway, he's I not going to so, win. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. um, and Gavin Newsom is, you know, he's a tall, handsome, white guy. He looks like your quintessential type of politician, and he's got name recognition in the state. So he's he's going to dominate this race. I would predict that he wins by um, fifteen to twenty points. It's not going to be good for Cox. John Cox was just um, endorsed by that goofball Travis Allen. Perfect. So. <laughs> Good times. So that's it, Alexander. Thanks for the questions and uh, good luck in your upcoming election. Mm-hmm. We uh, we wish you luck. All right. Uh, I believe that you have a story that you want to talk about, and this it's about trigger warnings. This new study, which is something that we've kind of talked about on the show before. Mm-hmm. In fact, when we had um, the guy from Serious Inquiries Only. Thomas Smith. Thomas Smith. Mm-hmm. When we had him on, we kind of mixed it up a little bit uh, about about the topic. Mm-hmm. He was in support of trigger warnings. He was pretty on board. Okay. And we we I don't know. About, I'm not going to speak for you, but I'm still kind of on the fence. Not. I think our take was my take was, and still to this day is is leans this way is that if you need a trigger warning for something that you have that from your past that's you know let's say domestic violence or if you can't even hear a story about it or people talk about it without being triggered and have that be bad for you that you need to to deal with that go get therapy and actually work on that because it's it doesn't seem to be healthy that you walk through life needing trigger warnings for for every trauma in your life um well let's take look i'm sympathetic I, i am so it's not like a fuck that we don't need to do that it's it's really more out of concern for the person to go get the help they need to be complete healthy people. So let's take a step back and say what trigger warnings are. So you may see it shorthand TW on the internet or um, just written out trigger warning on um, like a syllabus in college. It's to warn people that the material that they might be reading in class or a movie that they might be watching or a video clip on the internet is going to contain some sort of information that may be triggering, like you said, reminding them of a trauma in the past. And there's debate about whether or not these are useful. And so this issue is now being researched empirically. And you have liberals that tend to champion trigger warnings as a very beneficial move that it can't hurt anybody. Just go ahead and add them. Why wouldn't you want to warn people? And then you have um, conservatives that tend to be against them. That's pussy shit. Yeah, because it's like coddling yeah, the minds of the young people, and um, <laughs> the way you're moving your hands is fantastic. Yeah, you know, so coddling anyway. mm-hmm. the minds of the young people. It's yeah. like Bill Cosby, yes. the Jello. The- <laughs> <laughs> it's exactly what it was like. So this new study came out in the Journal of Behavior Therapy and Experimental Psychiatry, and the title is "Trigger Warning: Empirical Evidence Ahead," <laughs> which that alone just like. Just get rid of it. Honestly, it's so... I mean, they're having fun with what they're doing. Okay, that's fine. Um, <laughs> so the usual suspects are taking this study and propping it up 
as the like tablets from Jesus about the truth. So Jordan Peterson tweeted about this. Oh God. And said trigger warnings are precisely as counterproductive as any clinician worth his or her salt would expect. <laughs> I like really went through a lot of different transitions that, in that um, by the way, impression. that might be the most concise sentence I've ever heard spoken or written <laughs> from Joe uh Peterson, Jordan yeah. Peterson. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It actually made sense. All mm -hmm. the words had definitions that followed that you would expect them. And uh, at the end of it, the sentence had a theme. <laughs> you know what I mean? It wasn't just like superfluous, weird, nebulous language that didn't really mean anything. Yeah. Okay. So, Shocking. So basically, the main finding is that the trigger warnings didn't reduce anxiety. Hmm. Um, so they had two groups of participants randomly assigned. One group got the trigger warnings before they read passages. The other group did not get trigger warnings um, before they read passages. And basically the result was like for those who believe words are harmful, anxiety was increased with the trigger warning. J just seeing the trigger warning or the, the trigger warning followed by what the 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 content was well that's the point of the different groups huh. so that's the trigger warning was the difference between those two groups oh, okay, having I a see. trigger warning not having a trigger warning. right right so the main like, maybe i should listen a little better yeah the main <laughs> uh limitation i see here is that they actually excluded participants that had experienced trauma and that's kind of what trigger warnings are. Is that a limitation of the IRB of the of the the ethics panel that you have to get through when you do research? You think? Well, I'm sure it's difficult to get them to approve a study where you potentially are going to increase someone's anxiety yeah, based yeah. on a trauma that they experience. That's probably going to be hard to get approval for. Um, especially this was an online study, and so there's no really opportunity to sit down with someone afterward and debrief them and like yeah. make sure they're okay. Um, so it could have been that IRB didn't let them do that. But the point is trigger warnings are meant for people who have experienced trauma. And this debate is centered on are the trigger warnings beneficial or not beneficial for people who have experienced trauma? Yeah. And so if you're doing a study and you're excluding participants that have experienced trauma or had PTSD. What's the fucking point? Then it's kind of like, well, what does this actually say about trigger warnings and the debate that everyone is having yeah. about whether or not they're beneficial for that population? That population wasn't included in this yeah, study. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? Um, and so Jordan Peterson's tweeting this study out like it's proof of his point of view. Yeah, they're acting like it's proof, but it's not only that. It's it's marginal p-values, and p-values are the... <laughs> p-values are how statistical significance is determined. <laughs> and so these, these p-values are like barely statistically significant, um, which some people are arguing online could indicate p hacking. Like maybe these researchers did some. <laughs> I can just see your face. Um, like maybe engaged in some practices to get the p value, you know, just below that threshold to, to reach statistical significance. <laughs> what? What happened? So anyway, I was, sorry, I dozed off. Anyway, <laughs> what I'm saying is, it's just weird to see people that are educated in science, taking this study and saying, here it is. This is the proof. 
this validates everything I believed about trigger warnings. This is correct. And it's like, well, let's take a step back. Let's say this study is interesting. It, it, it found something interesting, um, but we need to continue to accumulate evidence before we decide what we actually believe and whether or not trigger warnings are actually beneficial. And I know people generally like, you know, you were just um, snoring when I was talking. And oh, so, was I? I, I, yeah. I didn't. I was asleep. So, I didn't know. So people don't <laughs> like to have like in-depth discussions because it's kind of boring, right? It's like, tell me. Tell me the result. Is it good? Is it bad? I don't need to enter into this discussion. And especially when you're Jordan Peterson, like he's at a level now where he's no longer incentivized to have these like in-depth gray area discussions. Right, right. Um, People want to hear from him just the radical position or whatever. Isn't it also... It seems to me that this is a mistake that gets made in the media where a study comes out and then all of a sudden it's, oh my God, this changes everything. It's one study. And science and scientists usually say, well, this is just one study. We need to do more. Isn't it kind of a a dick move from a guy who for sure knows better Mm -hmm. to put this one study out there? Jordan Peterson, like, oh, my God, this is it. This is the Holy Grail. Mm-hmm. Like you said, the tablets from Jesus. Mm-hmm. Just precisely Jesus as counterproductive for- as any clinician worth his or her salt would expect. Precisely as counterproductive. Right. I mean, he he believes this finding is everything he's been waiting for. Yeah. And it, it, it excluded traumatized participants. Um. So, yeah, it, it's frustrating because he's, he's doing like a... I fucking love science thing right now yeah. where a lot I haven't of seen that page in a long time. Yeah. A That's lot awesome. of, a lot of their posts, a lot of their articles are, um, it just has a lot of certainty, which doesn't work with science. Um, especially if we're talking about studies with trigger warnings and not like something like evolution, you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Um, this is going to take some time to, flesh out and study and so tweets like that i think are unhelpful and that's my soapbox ending i could i could uh stepping off (laughs) i i I could add to that and say it's not just tweets like that that are unhelpful it's fucking jordan peterson is unhelpful he's the guy's a pain in the ass he's he's an opportunist i think the audience knows Mm -hmm. how we feel and again I'm not opposed to trigger warnings because I think they're not helpful because if if that's what you want to do, that's great. I'm talking about the health of the person who would think they need that. Mm-hmm. If, if me, it's not a, a lack of concern for them. It is out of concern for them. Go get, go fix yourself. That sounds dickish, but seek some, some, some help, some, I don't want to say closure because that's a dick face term, but. You know what I mean? Am I making any sense? Well, I mean, so I I was diagnosed with PTSD when I was 19 or 18. And um, so I, I experienced those moments where I'm reading something or I'm watching a movie and I'm reminded of my trauma. And that's going to happen for the rest of my life, you know? Yeah. I think it's something that people who have experienced trauma understand about the nature of their life. Um, It's just like people who have only had happy experiences watch a movie and are reminded of their happy lives. (laughs) (laughs) 
Um, Most people probably exist. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I get what you're saying. And I think that in an ideal world, that would be beneficial. Um, I guess my issue is when people make the argument saying like, we, we need to not coddle people and... Oh, yeah, that's not where I'm yeah, coming it's, from at it's all. Like a, it's just not a productive conversation yeah. in the way that the argument is made. I'm not coming across like I'm saying that, right? Like, fuck them, they just need to toughen up. Because it's not about toughening up. It's they haven't sought the correct help to, to try to heal themselves. And wouldn't it be better? Obviously, maybe I'm talking about a, a world that doesn't exist. Yeah, I mean, that's kind of what I'm saying. Yeah. Like you're saying, wouldn't it be better if they did this? It's like, yeah, of course it would be better. <laughs> wow. Sure, bro. <laughs> <laughs> sure, bro. <laughs> All right. Well, with the sure, bro. Well, one, we would love to hear from you uh, about this. Um, yeah, I, send I would, your emails I, I about love. p-hacking. Yeah, yeah, about p-hacking. Goddamn. <laughs> 657-464-7609. Of course, you can always email voice memos from your smartphone to idoubtit at dollamore.com. One more time with that phone number not quite as quickly said, 657-464-7609. Support for I Doubt It with Dollamore comes from generous, engaged, intelligent, and good-looking listeners like you by way of Patreon. Your support on Patreon for as little as a dollar a month helps keep the show going and move the conversation forward one podcast at a time. If you would like to join the ever-growing family of supporters, please visit patreon.com slash I doubt it with Dollamore. Frederick. Frederick. Thank you, sir. Thank you. We appreciate your support on Patreon very much. Beautiful. It does, as the, the mid-roll just said, helps keep the lights on, helps keep... You know, this is this this week is a, a hashtag third episode week. Right. We are doing that. Mm-hmm. We said we were going to do it, and we're actually doing that. Yeah. Every other week is three episodes a week. Every non three episode a week week is a two <laughs> episode a week. Yeah. So we are we are trying to generate as much content that is valuable to you as we can. Mm-hmm. And if you feel it in your heart to to help support that effort. To help produce the show, Patreon is a great way to do that. There's also Amazon. If you shop on Amazon, you can go to dollamore.com slash Amazon. That will redirect you to Amazon with our little little code in there in the link mm-hmm. that tracks what you what you buy. Well, they track what you buy, but they try they attach it to us, and then we get a little bit mm-hmm. of that. So yeah. you don't pay any more, and it is a beautiful way to help support. The show. A beautiful way. Thank you. Aside from that, really quick, I want to do a little side note. All right. Um, I listened to the Sam Harris podcast and... Um, the one with the, the kid who wrote the... Well, I just... I listened to most of them. Oh. Because I like to... Um, uh, keep, Un- understand the other side. Yeah. Keep myself in the know. So he has been playing like an eight minute mid roll basically for his show. Really? Yeah. And I thought it was interesting because he actually says a lot of good things in it. Um, he talk- like consistently an eight minute mid roll. The last two episodes I listened to there was aren't an- the shows like 45 hours each. They're like two hours about, yeah. <laughs> so in this eight minute mid-roll, what are they? What are they? Well, he, he gives his explanation for not running ads hmm. on his podcast. And it was actually 
a really good argument and something that resonated with me because it's what I feel when I hear other podcasts reading ads sometimes. Um, Like when I hear a podcast that I like and they're reading a mattress ad (laughs) and then like another ad for another product and another ad for another product, I'm sitting there wondering like, are they real? Wait a minute. They order the mattress and it's the best mattress they've ever slept yeah, on. Right, Is right. that true? Or are they lying to me? Right, and it right. like makes me question what else they're lying about. Honestly, I start like having those thoughts. Yeah. And, and he kind of t- touched on that, that if he were to start promoting things, he would feel like um, he's lying. And also like he thinks other people would start wondering like if he was lying and what else he was lying about. Yeah. Um, so that made sense to me. But he also said um, that he used to be uncomfortable um, asking for donations. I think he said that. Um, but that he realized, like, people buy books before they read them. Oh, right. Yeah. And that he has to go out and make the rounds and promote the book and try to convince people to to buy the book um, before they read it, before they know if they like it. And with a podcast, you know whether or not you like it because you're listening to it. And so like you have a little bit more information than some other products you might go out and buy. And he said that he, you know, encourages people to donate. But if there are people out there who even giving a dollar would put them in a tough spot that like this message is not meant for him. Absolutely. We, we've said that a lot. I I stand by that. And I want to reiterate that too, because I, I, I know people have written us and they have like said, I would love to give you guys so-and-so, but I am in school and I can't. And, you know, they feel bad. And we don't want people to feel bad. We want you to enjoy the show. Um, And if you can help us, great. That's awesome. But if you really can't and that's going to put you in a tough spot, please keep your money, honestly. Yeah, well, I I, usually I say that if you're in a position to, which I think should be kind of an all-encompassing, that if it's not going to be a pain in the dick for you, um, or some other body part that you think is more appropriate. Yeah, <laughs> no, it works. Then, uh, then, then don't do that for sure. Because mm-hmm. the show's free. The show is free. Yeah. It's out there. It's, yeah, it's on the internets. Correct. <laughs> but you know, we we do have a, a a fairly loyal group. Anyway, we're fucking done talking about it. Yeah. Also, down the line, when I start reading ads for things, don't judge me. Okay? Well, listen, if we if we do it like we did with the 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 Korean with Suji's. We actually, we had a bunch of that product. Yeah, and it was good. And we, we for sure, yeah. <laughs> we'll have to figure it out. We still have jars of the hot sauce, and it's really oh, yeah. good. Yeah, it's solid. All right. Stalemocracy. Facing down pessimistic politics with realistic optimism. So there has been a decided shift in the manner with which the defense team of Donald Trump and his surrogates have gone out to talk about the Russia meetings, mm. the, the Russia collusion, the no collusion. No collusion. No collusion. No collusion. What a great defense that is. And listen, we've talked about uh, the moving of a goalpost. I'm getting ready to play something from Anderson Cooper here where he really just fucking kills it talking about how they've moved the goalposts. But let's 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 very briefly remind ourselves how much movement there has been since July from, since June of 2017 when we learned about those meetings in Trump Tower with the Russians and 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 Don Jr. and Kushner 
and Manafort and Natalia Vesenitskaya and Akhmat Rekmishin or whatever the fuck that guy's name is. All of these, all of these, these Russians. Remember that it was no, we had no communication with any Russians, no meetings. And then, well, to the best of our knowledge, we didn't have any meetings. You know, as far as we know, ah, there was no meetings. And then, well, yeah, th- there was meetings. Yeah, yeah, there was. Mm-hmm. But there was no planned meetings. Right. There were no scheduled meetings. Mm. And then, well, yeah, there was planned meetings, but they were about adoption. <laughs> they weren't about collusion or getting right. dirt on Hillary. Right, right, right. And then it was, well, well, yeah, well, yes, yeah, okay. There was meetings about getting dirt on Hillary mm-hmm. with Russians that weren't necessarily about adoption. But who wouldn't? But, but no, no, I was... I was there as a courtesy for my buddy, right? Just just doing it as a as a as a as a courtesy for my my friend. <laughs> and then we land where we are now, which is yeah, there was some meetings with some Russians about getting dirt from the for the campaign from a, a hostile foreign power. But yeah, maybe it was collusion. But uh, who who cares? Mm-hmm. Who cares? And now this is a common refrain. From Fox News, listen to Tucker Carlson, who who says pretty much that same thing with a straight face on his program. Who cares? Well, if the president lied about it or anything else under oath, yes, it is. That would be a big deal. Perjury is always a big deal. They don't tell Bill Clinton's defenders that. Otherwise, though, it's hard to see the point of all of this hysteria. What exactly would the crime here be? It's not illegal to talk to foreigners. Nobody is claiming that any information changed hands. Though even if it did, so what? So what? Not who cares. So what? Mm-hmm. Good old Tucker. So that in itself, that clip, is a very stark difference in, in how the Republican Party, the, the party of law and order, the party of respect for the rule of law, that... Well, as long as he's not lying under oath, mm-hmm. that's what he just said. Well, yeah, well, did he did he commit perjury? Did he lie under oath? Well, if not, eh, so what? Mm-hmm. That is a that is a startling admission from a leading political pundit on the most popular cable news channel in America. That is shocking. He's not the only one. Listen to Chris Christie. Collusion is not a crime. Um, And so the fact of the matter is that we're a long way away yet from having anything um, to talk about here. So we went from no collusion, no collusion, no collusion to ah, collusion's not a crime, everybody. Mm -hmm. No big deal. Even now, these these you might think that these are ancillary offshoot figures who don't really represent Donald Trump. That's not really the case because even Rudy Giuliani is out there making the rounds. The, the the president of the United States, now personal attorney, is making statements like this. But when I said today that there was no collusion and therefore, uh, and that collusion also is no crime, I've been saying that from the very beginning, so did John Dowd. It's a very, very uh, familiar lawyer's argument that uh, the alternative uh, my client didn't do it, and even if he did it, it's not a crime. And <laughs> oh my God, it's really embarrassing. 
uh, my client didn't do it. And even if he did it, it's not a crime. That is shocking to mm-hmm. me. Mm-hmm. And, and, and <laughs> it's yes, shocking to and you? Yes, very embarrassing. No, no, no. Shocking from the 30,000 foot view looking down and this is where we are. Okay. Not shocking because he's not a dingleberry because he's a, a, he's a garbage person. There's zero integrity in Rudy Giuliani. Any credibility he had post 9-11 has been flushed down the dirty Trump toilet. So um, I, I want to comment on your use of garbage person because that was a controversial phrase in one of your videos where people thought you were attacking like garbage. sanitary workers. Come on, really? Yeah. And like saying that it was like a legitimate job and how dare you use that phrase. And I just want to clarify for anyone who's listening that may be offended. Um, that's not. That's not what's... Okay. Rudy Giuliani is a person who is garbage. <laughs> Do they really think that he's out there with the gloves and the overalls well, this is what on happens. the back of a garbage truck? This is what happens Come on. when you use your mouth and lots of people hear you is some segment of the population is just always going to hear what they want to hear. You know what I so mean? So if I call him a toilet person, they're going to be like, oh, plumber. Being a plumber is a noble profession. Yeah. Fucking people. Stop that if that's what you thought. But listen to... I'm gonna. Can I continue now? Yes. Sorry. Talking about the garbage person? Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Did I say sanitary worker? Yeah, I meant sanitation I, worker. Well, they're... They, is that the same They're thing? probably not sanitary, handling the garbage all day. Well, see, now you're backstepping. Well, no, and... you just get dirty doing your job, man. Yeah. You're dealing with trash and garbage mm-hmm. <laughs> and dirty diapers and shit. I mean, I don't think that they are. There's not enough money in the world. Those people should be making some good, good cash. Yeah, they're not going through the trash. They're just picking it up and putting it. They don't even touch it. So listen to Rudy Giuliani. Okay. Because we're really... You, 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 I don't know what's happening. Yeah, you fucked us. <laughs> you fucked us. Uh, Rudy Giuliani talking to Allison Camerata about being snarky and trying to be funny, congenial guy. Oh, I've been trying to find the collusion in the U.S. code. I don't know where it is. I've been sitting here looking in the federal code trying to find collusion as a crime. <laughs> it's not. Collusion is not a crime. All right. That was with Fox and Friends. You and could hear Ducey. Yeah, yeah, you could hear Ducey's voice. It's not. He did, <laughs> but, oh, yeah. They're like, oh, we want to remind everybody it's not. But he did the same thing with Allison Camerata, where he's, president didn't do the hacking. He didn't pay anybody to hack. All right, funny guy, calm down. Uh, my client didn't do it, and even if he did it, it's not a crime. But here's Anderson Cooper talking about moving the goalposts. Listen, n- normally on this show, we, we, tr- we try to give longer clips to put things in context. I don't like playing uh, eight-second hit-it-and-quit-it clips that don't give you any context about what was said prior and what was said bef- uh, after. The, the, the quote of note. We usually like to keep the, keep the clips around three minutes, give or take. This one is five plus, not quite six, five plus. But rest assured that every second, every second of this clip is worth it because he paints the picture. He draws conclusions. He raises questions that all are important. That we are right now, I believe, I'm not transcribing any thought onto Anderson here, But we are at a critical point. Manafort's trial started today. And we are at a critical point where 
shit is going to start happening at a breakneck pace. Our Fridays going forward are going to be filled with new information and leaks that get dropped on a Friday, hoping that shit will die down by Monday. Here's Anderson Cooper. Keeping him honest tonight, the president says it never happened, never ever. But now one of his key defenders is also saying what sounds a lot like, but if it did happen, so what? And in case you're wondering, yes, the subject is Russia. And yes, those are goalposts being moved, moved, it seems, almost on several fronts. We'll start with the one transgression that President Trump has always absolutely, positively, categorically denied. They found no collusion whatsoever with Russia. There has been no collusion. They won't find any collusion. It doesn't exist. There's no collusion with me and the Russians. Nobody's been tougher to Russia. There was no collusion. No collusion, which I knew anyway. No coordination, no nothing. No nothing, he says. No collusion. His response to the revelation, his closest campaign advisor sought Kremlin dirt on Hillary Clinton. His response after the House and Senate Intelligence Committees released their reports on Russian interference. His response, in fact, to nearly any Russia-related question the president has ever gotten, no collusion. If not the two foundational words of his entire administration, then at least the linchpin of his defense. That is, until our reporting that his former lawyer and confidant is now willing to tie the president directly to that meeting with Russians during the campaign. Now that Michael Cohen's apparently ready to say that candidate Trump knew in advance about what amounts to, at best, an attempted collusion or intended collusion or unrequited collusion. The line of defense has a new wrinkle, moving from never happened to, so what if it did? Which I'm not even know if that's a crime, colluding about Russians. Okay. <laughs> you start, you start yeah. analyzing the crime. The hacking is the crime. The uh, hacking uh, is the crime. That certainly is the original Well, the problem. president didn't yes. hack. Of course not. That's the original <laughs> He didn't problem. pay them for hacking. All right. It almost sounds like the president's TV lawyer, Rudy Giuliani, was saying we shouldn't be focusing on the goalpost the president has set up time and time again, but instead should be looking another oh, 20 yards downfield. Which I'm not even know if that's a crime, colluding about Russians. Keeping them honest, it's not. That much is true. And that's all. There's no anti-colluding with Russians act anywhere in the United States code. But there's plenty on the books about conspiracy or campaign finance abuses and obstruction of justice. Not to mention that most would agree it's just, you know, plain wrong if it happened to be secretly scheming with a hostile power. It's a touchy subject, as you might imagine, perhaps because of that. This is not the first time the president's defenders have felt compelled to define their transgressions and alleged transgressions downward. Just after Election Day, campaign spokesperson Hope Hicks said, quote, there was no communication between the campaign and any foreign entity during the campaign. It never happened, she said. Three months later, it never became to the best of our knowledge. Sarah Sanders saying, quote, this is a non-story because, to the best of our knowledge, no contacts took place. A month later, that gave way to meetings. Yes, but no planned meetings. Donald Trump Jr. telling The New York Times, quote, did I meet with people that were Russian? I'm sure. I'm sure I did. But none, uh, none that were set up and certainly none that I was representing the campaign in any way, shape or form. Of course, that was untrue. So downfield went the goalpost yet again. Now there was a planned meeting, but it was primarily about adoption. Then it was okay, but I was just there as a favor to a friend. I was basically sitting there listening as a courtesy uh, to my acquaintance uh, who had set up the meeting. And, uh, you know, in in his own words, you can hear what he said, uh, and you played it earlier, uh, about it. I mean, he apologized to me walking out of the meeting basically for wasting my time. Well, today we know that Donald Trump Jr., Jared Kushner, and Paul Manafort went into that meeting knowing full well it was with people who were portraying themselves, at least, as Kremlin-connected Russians promising intelligence on Hillary Clinton. And with each revelation that followed, everyone from the president on down played word games with the public or just plain lied 
And now that Michael Cohen may be prepared to say the president had prior knowledge of the meeting, the new line is that, yeah, okay, maybe there was collusion with a hostile foreign power, but it's not a crime. Which I'm not even know if that's a crime, colluding about Russians. Now, you might think that this alone would be a good day, a good day's work for Rudy Giuliani. But wait, there was more. He also had this to say about Michael Cohen's allegation that he knew in advance about the Trump Tower meeting. Even this Russian meeting, I'm happy to tell him he wasn't there. He wasn't at the meeting. Well, keep in mind, according to our sources, that's not what Michael Cohen is allegedly ready to say. Cohen is allegedly ready to say that candidate Trump had prior knowledge of the meeting, something his son and others have denied repeatedly and that Don Jr. had seemingly denied under oath. Was Mr. Giuliani opening up a window ever so slightly to the fact that Mr. Trump might have known about the meeting but didn't attend it? Well, some today have suggested that, but the reality is we just don't know. We do know we hadn't heard that distinction before today, which is curious to say the least. Okay, now stay with me here because things get even weirder from, from here. That's because Mr. Giuliani also brought up another meeting, one we didn't even know about, which he says the president also did not attend, a meeting that apparently happened two days before the infamous Trump Tower meeting. He did not participate in any meeting about the Russia transaction. The president. The president did not. Uh, and the other people at the meeting that he claims he had without the president about it say he was never there. All right. So if you're keeping a score, A, the president was never at the pre-meeting, the pre-meeting meeting that Michael Cohen says he was never at and no one was even asking about. And B, the president was never at the Trump Tower meeting that no one has ever said he was at. Have you got that? No. Where'd those goalposts go again? Fantastic. <laughs> well, Donald Trump actually tweeted today. And I just want to... A lot. He's been tweeting a lot lately. Yeah, but this one is particularly uh, beautiful. <laughs> collusion is not a crime, but that doesn't matter because there was no collusion, mm. except by crooked Hillary and the Democrats. Yes, they colluded. Mm-hmm. Hillary Clinton colluded with the Russians so they could help Donald Trump get elected. That makes a ton of Trump sense. Well, and given how how much the goalposts have moved already, you have to wonder what's the next step? Where is it going to be moved to next? So they're already priming us to believe that collusion is not a crime. Yeah. So that when it comes out that (laughs) there's proof that Donald Trump knew about the meeting beforehand and all that, that they can say, well, we've been saying for weeks that collusion is not a crime. So again, here we are. Exactly right. (laughs) <laughs> well, listen, listen to Frank Fogluzzi, who is the former chief of counterintelligence for the FBI, talking about that very thing. Let me start with you, Frank Fogluzzi, because I understand the talking point is now that collusion isn't a crime. But to be clear, Bob Mueller isn't investigating non-criminal collusion. He's looking for crimes. He's very much looking for crime. And in, in fact, if, if you look in my dictionary, uh, which I just did for the definition of collusion, it says illegal cooperation or conspiracy. So really, we should stop using the phrase collusion and just say criminal conspiracy. There's a host of criminal charges that could come into play here if it's proven that there was so-called collusion. What are those charges? Look, if it's proven that Russian money was flowing into the campaign, you've got election and campaign contribution violations. You have violations of the emoluments clause. If they were masking the origin of, the, of Russian money, then you, you could have bank fraud and wire fraud and money laundering. And there's conspiracy and there's a cop, uh, accessory after the fact, if, depending on when they knew what was happening. And, and here's a key on the hacking. 
if indeed they can show that campaign officials gave a green light or knew or encouraged the hacking into the DNC, then you've got the same violations, the cybercrime, the computer fraud and abuse charges that we saw lobbed onto the Russian hackers. You see conspiracy charges against the president or his campaign officials. So it is about crime. Absolutely. It's about crime. And there's another part of the strategy that we haven't talked about that Rudy Giuliani is subtly starting to do. And that is revealing information slowly mm-hmm. amidst the barrage of insanity. Priming. He releases a little bit of information because they know what Michael Cohen knows. And they know that what Michael Cohen knows, we will soon know. Here he is talking about this other meeting, this pre June Trump Tower meeting meeting talking about the, the the logistics of the meeting where he is claiming he's talking about a meeting that the president also didn't attend. This is a meeting we didn't even know about until Rudy Giuliani opened his mouth. Lanny Davis has added that there was a meeting two days before the meeting took place with Donald Jr., Jared Manafort and two others, Gates. And one more person. And that's a real meeting. You're saying that that that's a that's a, that's a real meeting on a, on a, on another provable subject in which he would not, not participate. This meeting that Cohen's talking about took place before the meeting with the Russians. But the other thing that's contradicted is Cohen also now says, because he says too much, that two days before he was participating in a meeting with roughly the same group of people, but not the president, definitely not the president, mm-hmm. in which they were talking about the strategy of the meeting with the Russians. You mean the strategy of the meeting with the Russians, the meeting that was denied, and then, oh, yeah, well, it happened, but it was just about adoption. Mm-hmm. And then, oh, yeah, well, it happened. It wasn't really about adoption. It was about dirt. And then, oh, yeah, well, but that's not a crime. Who cares? Mm-hmm. That meeting that there has been so much effort to try to conceal. Now, all of a sudden, we're learning about other meetings where they were planning for that meeting, the meeting that was so inconsequential. Donald Trump has said how unimportant it seemed. It's so fucking unimportant that you need a a meeting to talk about how you're going to do that meeting, that unimportant meeting. It's pretty unimportant. But there's planning (laughs) sessions going on for this super unimportant meeting. Well, and again, that's why it's so hard to believe that all of this was going on without telling Donald Trump that all of these people were having these conversations and setting things in motion and that Donald Trump was not aware of any of it. Like they're keeping him in the dark about really important information about his campaign and how they can advance his campaign. A notorious micromanager, Donald Trump. Yeah, I, it just, it's so unbelievable. And then you have all of this coming out. And again, like I have said many times, and like I'm sure many other people have said. Many people are saying. Yeah, many people are saying. <laughs> um, if there really is nothing going on, then all of this is so weird. Yeah. This is weird behavior for innocent people who right. have nothing to hide. You know? Yeah. Listen, I, I, I've said it many times. You know how much I had to do? You know how many Russians I talked to? Mm-hmm. Other than our friend who is now a naturalized citizen. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I don't have a lot to do with Russians. Mm-hmm. Certainly no Russian nationals. Mm-hmm. Easy. Boom. You want to look into it? Fucking knock yourself out. Mm-hmm. There's nothing there. 
You want to investigate? Hell yeah. Come on in. Let me, I'll let you investigate. I'll let you. I'll let you do it. <laughs> uh, we're going to end this particular topic on this note. Max Boot is a conservative. He's a Republican. He's also an opinion. He writes for the Washington Post. This is him. This is a Washington Post video talking about how Trump talks about collusion all the time. No collusion, but that there actually is evidence mounting right now. And it really paints a great picture of just the trouble that is that is on the horizon for Donald Trump and his cronies. Trump is obsessed with claiming there is no collusion with Russia. I mean, he says it about as often as he says hello and goodbye. No collusion. No collusion. No collusion. And I say it all the time. Uh, there was no collusion. But repetition does not make something true. And while it is the case that there is not yet proof of Russian collusion, and that's something that will be up to special counsel Robert Mueller to determine, there is a ton of evidence of Russian collusion, and that evidence is getting stronger by the day. The Moscow Project of the Center for American Progress has determined that just based on what we know publicly, there were 82 contacts between the Trump campaign and the Kremlin. I mean, I worked on three presidential campaigns. I can't imagine any legitimate reason to have 82 contacts with a hostile enemy power. And what makes this even more damning is that Trump and his aides have lied about every single one, have tried to cover up every single one of them. More recently, Robert Mueller indicted 12 Russian military officers on charges of hacking into the Democratic Party. And we learned some very interesting things from that indictment. For example, we learned that the very first time that the Russians tried to hack into Hillary Clinton's email was the very day when Donald Trump invited them to do so. Russia, if you're listening, I hope you're able to find the 30,000 emails that are missing. And they were listening, obviously. We also learned from that indictment that the Russians not only stole Democratic Party emails, but they stole Democratic Party analytics, the data that they need to run their campaign. And that occurred in September of 2016. Just a few weeks later, the Trump campaign completely reoriented their strategy, which they said was based on new data. And that leads to the suspicion that perhaps the Russians shared the stolen Democratic Party data with the Trump campaign. And the final piece of the puzzle is the unsealing of the surveillance warrant for Carter Page, who was a Trump foreign policy advisor who was suspected by the FBI of being a Russian agent. There is evidence uh, that uh, Carter Page was in contact with high-level Russian officials, and those Russian officials were offering to provide help uh, to the Trump campaign. The biggest question mark in my mind is whether Robert Mueller will be able to prove that Donald Trump himself was involved in this collusion or whether it just involved lower level aides. So stay tuned, but don't buy the White House propaganda line that there is quote unquote no collusion. Or don't buy the line that even if there was, it's not a crime. Uh, my client didn't do it. And even if he did it, it's not a crime. My client didn't do it. And even if he did it, it's not a crime. Mm. <laughs> That's how it's done. Where can I sign Rudy Giuliani on retainer as yeah. my lawyer? <laughs> that guy's getting it done. Oh. So the other thing many people are mm. saying, many people have reached out and want us to talk about this, which is the announcement by Jeff Sessions that they are starting a religious liberty task force. Oh, over at the Department of Justice. I was you know, worried they wouldn't. Because of all the, the religious liberties that are being trampled on. Yes. Today I announced, uh, uh, I am announcing. Uh, 
<laughs> Can we also first just say this? How did this guy make it as far in politics as he has? Because he is really like a foghorn leghorn. Today I announced, uh, uh, I am announcing. Uh, uh, I'm an, uh, I say, I say, I say. What is happening? It's Jeff Sessions. I, I know it's Jeff Sessions. Mm-hmm. He, th- this guy has a storied career of high level success. Uh, you know, coming at the end here with being the senator for Alabama mm-hmm. and the attorney general of the United States of America. What, can't a guy stutter a little bit and before he's got he the starts words, his speech? He's, he's looking at a piece of paper reading the speech. Yeah, he's Today nervous. I announce, uh, 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 I'm announcing. Uh, 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 uh. Come on. Anyway, Religious Liberty Task Force. Let's go. Today I announced, uh, uh, I am announcing our next step, the Religious Liberty Task Force to be co-chaired by the Associate Attorney General, Jesse, and the Assistant Attorney General for Office of Legal Policy, Beth. The task force will help the department fully implement our religious liberty guidance by ensuring that all Justice Department components, and we've got a lot of components around the country, are upholding that guidance in the cases they bring and defend, the arguments they make in court, the policies and regulations they adopt, and how we conduct our operations. That includes making sure our employees know their duties to accommodate people of faith. And as the people in this room know, you have to practice what you preach. So we're going to remain in contact with religious groups across America to ensure that their rights are being protected. We have been holding listening sessions and will continue to host them in the coming weeks. This administration is animated by that same American view that has led us for 242 years. That every American has a right to believe and worship and exercise their faith in the public square. Now that is true to a degree. That every American has a right to to execute their faith, practice their faith. Until it starts infringing upon the rights of others. And that's where there's nuance here that is lost on this administration and this Justice Department in particular. Because they use language like religious liberty, which is important. It is important that if you practice a faith, that you're allowed to, unmolested by the government, practice that faith, unless you infringe upon the rights of others. Unless your religious faith tells you that you get to discriminate against gays or people who are in interracial marriage, then no. And that is the problem with this religious liberty task force, is we don't know because the language that they use is so nebulous, is so open to interpretation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he said, quote, the task force will help the department fully implement our religious liberty guidance by ensuring that all Justice Department components are upholding that guidance in the cases they bring and defend, the arguments they make in court, the policies and regulations they adopt, and how we conduct our operations. That includes making sure our employees know their duties to accommodate people of faith. <laughs> um, what is the, so, so the pharmacist who doesn't want to 
prescribe or dispense because they're not prescribing if they if they don't want to dispense birth control because it's against their deeply held religious conviction is the justice department going to come in swoop in and defend that person and defend their their violation of someone else's rights i mean that's well and another thing that another thing that he added was quote a dangerous movement undetected by many is now challenging and eroding our great tradition of religious freedom there can be no doubt this is no little matter it must be confronted and defeated and he talked about the cultural climate basically turning against people of faith in recent years and he said quote we've seen nuns ordered to buy contraceptives um he he means through obamacare that everybody's but no one's forcing them to buy contraception. Yeah, I, I'm, I mean, I'm going to need more information on that. It's a bastardization of the facts is what it is. Shocking. We've seen U.S. senators ask judicial and executive branch nominees about dogma, even though the Constitution explicitly forbids a religious test for public office. <laughs> that seems to be um, skewing what happened there a little bit. because for sure. uh, That's a Diane Feinstein. Right, asking yeah. the the supposed nominee um she didn't get selected what was her name amy coney amy coney yeah um about her dogma amy barrett coney i think yeah um then he went on we've all seen the ordeal faced so bravely by jack phillips jack phillips is the colorado baker yeah the artist uh the artista yeah (laughs) um so yeah i mean he's saying quote religious americans are no longer an afterthought and I guess this is just weird because, well, Jeff Sessions is in like a privileged position as a white Christian man in America. Right. And in power. Yeah. If you're not religious, you see how, (laughs) um, what a privileged position it is to be a religious person. Most people are religious. Yeah. The vast majority. Um, Religion is respected. Religious people are revered in this country as being more moral and abiding by the rules, um, having a purpose in life, uh, doing more charitable work. Um, If you are in a secular community, that is not the view of religious people, but that is the dominant narrative related to religious people in this country. So he's acting as though there's this this assault against religious people in America and that's not the case. I mean, there is a declining population, right? The population is getting more secular over time, but that doesn't mean that there's a hostile environment in America for religious people. If there is a hostile environment, let me say, how I many- believe it's the other way around. Because you know how many times I've thought about how how open should I be about not believing in any gods, on the, even on the show. I right. mean, we started off really talking about it all the time, but since the show has taken off, there have been moments where I'm like, man, should we should we tamp down the fact that I'm an atheist, that I don't really believe in God? Right. And even right there, the language that I, I just don't used. Really. <laughs> yeah. Even the language I just used yeah. is is a measure to not offend people. And it's not that I think you're stupid or that you're backwards if you believe in God. It's just that I don't. Mm-hmm. But the, re- the, 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 the problem is I have a fear of retribution, whether it be people stop listening or whether whatever, even in the past when I had conventional jobs, um, feeling like I got to be quiet about it. And your research and all of the research that's out there that points to anti-atheist prejudice 
So if there's a prejudice out there, it's certainly not the minority, the vast minority oppressing the vast majority. Yeah, and Pew runs these polls all the time where it asks people um, how they feel about different groups of people. And atheists and Muslims are consistently at the bottom. Yeah. People do not feel warmly about them. Um, and people don't trust atheists. There's distrust motivating that prejudice that you're talking about, that anti-atheist prejudice, because there is no one watching them and they don't believe in a God. Um, so they don't believe someone is watching them and their behavior. Right. Um, so that motivates distrust of them. So yeah, it's just strange as an atheist to hear Jeff Sessions talking about how hard it is for Christians. Right. Who are the vast majority population. In the United States of America. Yeah, so it's just, it's a little shocking. <laughs> it's it, it just, it, it's, it's a, a wild misuse of government resource. Listen, th- throughout the course of the normal duties of the Department of Justice in this country, they should be standing up for people's religious liberties because it's enshrined in our Constitution. Yeah. But that's it. You, you don't get to manipulate what that means and that because I'm I'm whatever religion, I get to oppress you because it's part of my religion. That's not how it works. Mm-hmm. If you are a part of some faith that gets to, to, to sacrifice animals in a brutal way, you don't get to do that. Mm-hmm. Well, and the whole reason this was created is because of Donald Trump's executive order directing agencies to respect yeah. and protect religious liberty Which and is political speech. Fucking pandering. From the philanderer in chief in the White House. Well, yeah, he banging needs, porn stars and Playboy models. He needs to keep his base happy because that is who is going to reelect him. Right, and they are dirty, filthy hypocrites. Every last one of those evangelical asswipes who who con- contend morality while supporting this jackass. Get out of here. Get right out of here. Views and opinions expressed by Jesse Dollarmore are solely those of Jesse Dollarmore and do not reflect the views and opinions of Brittany Page, who is a far superior person and much more measured and reasonable in her views and analysis. We've had listeners tell us that they can tell just by like the noises I make or don't make that <laughs> that yeah, <laughs> you I can just it. tell Everybody how I gets feel. It. Yeah, you can tell how I feel. But listen, it it, it bothers me. You don't think it bothers me? It it doesn't bother you as much as it bothers me because of the fact that you don't come from that religious tradition. You didn't grow up an evangelical around all of these pious, holier-than-thou bitching about uh, Bill Clinton constantly. Okay, that's true. But that doesn't mean that I am less outraged by people who are illogical or can't reason correctly. That makes me very angry. Yes, I get irrationally angry about that. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Hmm. That's prick shit, bro. That's prick shit. <laughs> All right, everybody. We're going to leave you there. I don't think we have a, a taking care of biz or an asshole today. Tomorrow, because our schedule is going to be tomorrow morning, we're going to do a show. And then Thursday morning, we're also going to do a show. Hashtag third episode. Hashtag third episode. If you would like to sound off, communicate with the show, help us move that conversation forward. We would love to hear from you. 657 464 7609. Why don't you just program that into your phone? So when you're out and about, you, you come up with a, oh, this is would be interesting for the show. We'd love to hear from you. Just call right in. You can also email a voice memo from your smartphone to idoubtit at dollamore.com. We love you guys. We appreciate you. 
Thank you for joining us twice and three times a week, or as often as you hear from us. Thank you. Until next time, for Brittany Page, I'm Jesse Dollimore, and this has been I Doubt It. Uh, My client didn't do it, and even if he did it, it's not a crime.